You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Since 2009, the Pharmacy Podcast Network has led the podcasting space for the pharmacy industry. This network of pharmacists and pharmacy technicians leads the podcasting charts with more than 2 million downloads, 40 different stations, and new episodes every week. The Pharmacy Podcast Network is the number one podcast for the pharmacy professional. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, and all your favorite podcast players. Join the Pharmacy Podcast Nation today. Pharmacy benefit managers, better known as PBMs, are responsible for negotiating payment rates for a large share of prescription drugs distributed in the United States. Recently, state Medicaid systems, policymakers, and national pharmacy associations have expressed concern that certain PBMs' business practices may not be consistent with public policy goals to improve the value of pharmaceutical spending. This podcast series is all about PBM reform. Listen to the discussions, share these podcasts, and help build a new pharmacy payer system, which supports our independent community pharmacies, encourages fair and transparent competition in the marketplace, and most importantly, is designed to deliver the best patient care. Two weeks after President Trump signed an executive order called lowering drug prices by putting America first, the White House still hasn't released the text of the order. The unorthodox move is apparently a leverage play, an attempt to squeeze drug companies in offering concessions, but so far there's little indication Trump is getting the deal he was after. This is not President Trump's fault directly because of the complexity of what is the pharmacy benefit manager. As we know, Pharmacy Podcast listeners, Pharmacy Podcast Nation, this is the Pharmacy Podcast. And today we are releasing another episode of the PBM Reform Podcast Series, which has been one of our most popular series as we've done 11 episodes about the need for PBM reform. Ultimately, this impacts our patients. This isn't just about the survival of community pharmacy. It's not about the survival and profitability of health health system pharmacy or hospital pharmacy or long-term care or even specialty pharmacy. This is about accessing um, patient medications at an affordable cost and what trickles down from doing that and having that at at the spearhead is, is coming to a place where we can build businesses around healthcare with profit in healthcare providers' coffers in order to get the next generation of pharmacists off the ground, the next generation of pharmacy owners off the ground. I'm excited today to bring a special guest to the Pharmacy Podcast and the PBM Reform uh, Podcast Series, Mr. Anthony Resnick. Welcome to the Pharmacy Podcast. Thanks, Todd. Thanks for having me today. You're very welcome. Uh, Anthony is the Director of Governor Affairs at the Independent Pharmacy Alliance out of the great state of New Jersey. We have had many New Jersey headlines coming out around healthcare. Recently, a pharmacy exec pleaded guilty to a $50 million drug fraud scam targeting New Jersey's public workers. And when I hear about stuff like this, Anthony, I 
can't help but to think of the PBMs, the major three PBMs constantly, time and time again, pulling the wool over the eyes of healthcare providers, healthcare policymakers, politicians, um, organizations that are trying to figure out the Rubik's Cube of why drug pricing is so expensive. And even our populace, I talk on Facebook, on LinkedIn, on Instagram, uh, Twitter, uh, to many people who do not understand why are drug prices so high? You and I, who have been in this industry long enough to know the number one culprit, which is the pharmacy benefit managers, but you have a very unique background. I want our listeners to understand why you're so important to this fight. So give us a little bit about, about uh, your background, Anthony. Todd, I appreciate you saying I'm very important. I don't feel that way about myself, but thank you. That's very nice of you. Uh, I was started as a legislative staffer for an assemblywoman back in 1997. And that's kind of where I got my start in state government. I honestly didn't know anything about state government when I started out, but I learned as I went along. And I felt like I gathered some experience in terms of how you can pass a law through a legislative body. And then after you pass it, how you get the law enforced. Uh, I worked in that area for almost 20 years. And then I got an opportunity with the I, with Independent Pharmacy Alliance. I didn't know anything about PBMs. And the interesting thing is I did have meetings with legislators about PBMs and about drug pricing and on both sides, both people who represented pharmacies and those who represent PBMs. But the difficulty is all, was always, well, what is a PBM? What do they do? They they pay you, they set the drug price. I don't understand. And what is WAC? What is MAC? I don't get it. And so it was always very confusing. And the trouble was, was that, you know, the PBM lobbyists, they, of course, they came in, they represented a big industry. And so unfortunately, they were, a lot of people listened to them at the time. And, but the independent pharmacy community in New Jersey did a great job over many, many years. And after I got an opportunity with IPA, I got to work with all the other groups in New Jersey and we kind of formed a coalition. And after we formed a coalition, because coalitions, they are able to get bills passed into law. They are able to get departments to start enforcing particular laws. That's how you win in politics is with coalitions. And we got three really good laws passed in New Jersey. And we're starting to see some of these laws actually take effect and have some positive, some, some really positive outcomes. But that's only half the story because when you pass a law, you have to make sure that the insurance department, because PBMs are usually regulated, if you have a regulatory law in your state, they're regulated by your various insurance departments. And those departments, they're regulating multitudes of different laws. So yours is just one out of many that they have to regulate. And it's the independent pharmacy community's job to keep talking to that insurance department to look this is why it's important. This is why you have to regulate the law. You have to regulate because drug prices are too high, that they are the main 
reason why people are paying such huge costs. And they're also part of the problem as to why people are paying such huge premiums, because they're constantly claiming that they're using the monies that they leverage from pharmacies to lower premiums. But they never tell you how much they're actually using. And everybody is paying a higher cost in terms of their premium. So it doesn't it doesn't work with one conversation. It doesn't work with a handful of conversations. It works with many conversations over months, sometimes years, to get to that finish line. I think independent pharmacy in a lot of states, both nationally and New Jersey and other states, are about halfway there, halfway. The other half is the work that's not exciting. When you get a bill passed in the legislature, there's usually a headline. We passed the best law. Right. We have the strongest law in the country. And that's good. But then comes what a lot of people feel is the boring work, working with your particular insurance department to get full enforcement of your particular law. Uh, another issue is that, uh, this is a term that I use, a lot of pharmacies will tell me, well, Anthony, we have a law in place. Why isn't it being fully enforced? And again, you know why I say is there's no PBM police. Right. We have to be the ones to work to enforce the laws. We have to be the ones to inform the insurance department of when a law is not being adhered to. And that takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of communication, and it takes a lot of effort to educate the various insurance departments as to why it's important, not just for the pharmacy, but for the patient. Absolutely, so I really like, before we started recording, Anthony, you were talking about you know, passing laws and how long it takes to get those laws passed through educating the uh, lawmaker first, uh, people like Representative Buddy Carter, who leapfrogs so many of our lawmakers, he understands the business of pharmacy as a pharmacy owner. We need like 10 more of those, um, you know, people in Congress that really would understand the insides of, of health care reform and pricing controls. But I want to come back to the concept of PBM law and policy policing because therein lies, you know, the, the true effect. And I'll make a, a silly analogy for our, uh, for our listeners. You pass a law in the great state of Pennsylvania, my state, to open up the highways from uh, 55 miles per hour to 70 miles per hour, which is great. It's gonna show things like uh, small gas savings because you get your vehicle up to a higher RPM or lower RPM over a longer period of time. And now who, you know, someone drives 90 or, or myself, I can't help but to go 80. Who's going to enforce just because you changed it from 55 to 70, that means nothing if you don't have a state police sitting behind a sign or doing some kind of speed trap or, you know, gunning us with their radar detectors. If you don't have the radar detectors on the highway, then the, 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 the speed limit that you set is, is, doesn't mean anything unless you're enforcing it. So PBM reform, which is really what we talk about on this series is important. What we actually need to, based on what you've said, Anthony, we need to start concentrating on PBM um, policing 
so that we understand the orders that have come through the states that have taken years and taken millions of dollars in some cases to, to sign, that, that we have something to back these orders so that, the, um, so that the PBMs are getting penalized for not being adherent to these new policies and laws in place. The one place that I'd like to challenge listeners, and if you're a pharmacy owner, I, wanna, I want you to forward this interview with Anthony Resnick with IPA. I want you to forward it to your pharmacy management software provider. So RX30, heads up. QS1, heads up. SweetRx, Keycentrics, you know, any of the pharmacy management systems out there, you guys could solve this for us using artificial intelligence, using rules and controls, using policies that could be, be built into the drug pricing and adjudication of claims. Imagine, Anthony, a system where the pharmacy management systems or maybe NCPDP that comes up with some of the policies, like some of the work group 14 that concentrates on long-term care pharmacy. Imagine if they came up with a schematic or an algorithm that saw the contracted price between a PBM and a pharmacy, and every time it was dispensed, we know that there's a three, four, five cent per charge that goes back to that switching company. Imagine if we added on two cents to each of those transactions that paid for the upkeep of an algorithm of an artificial intelligence that would automatically penalize the PBM for not adhering to the contract. Now, I just gave up a multi-million dollar business idea. So if somebody does that, it'll be released on the Pharmacy Podcast Network first. But literally, Anthony, we're going to have to come up with an automated way because to try to police this manually with how many millions and billions of prescriptions that are being pushed through our, our system to catch everything is an impossibility. But I believe with technology, we could get it done. Todd, I think you're right. I think technology will eventually be the saving grace here because we have to collect this information and there's way too much data to collect for an individual or groups. And that information has to be given to the government so they can see where the money is actually going, why drug costs are so high, why premiums are skyrocketing. Because the fact is, we know PBMs are collecting billions and billions of dollars in rebates, discounts, whatever we want to call it, from manufacturers. Yep. So the money is there to lower the drug costs. The money is there to compensate a pharmacist and a pharmacy for the work that they're doing to care for the patient. But because of this issue where they hide under the law and say it's all the information is proprietary, they're claiming they don't have to release it. But State governments do have the authority to require them to release it, at least to them, and to review the information and to see where the money is actually going. The information does not have to necessarily, if the fear is that the information is going to be released to the public and that the PBMs, uh, that uh, other PBMs that they compete with are going to get the secret sauce or secret formula that makes them successful. Well, the way around that is governments do collect information from private companies to determine what the best policy outcomes should be. So the argument that they're hiding behind a, uh, that the information is proprietary does not have to be shared with the public, but it can be shared with the government so they can make determinations of what's best for the consumer and the patient. 
And we've seen examples of that in many industries across the spectrum. Uh, but unfortunately, before I think that can happen, and hopefully you know, that will happen sooner rather than later on technology front, we have to be able to do it the old fashioned way. Right. We have to be the ones, and when I say we, I mean the farm, independent pharmacy industry. We have to be the ones to report when the law is broken to the insurance departments. If we have a law in the books, the only way it can work is if we communicate with the insurance departments and tell them what's going on. But the important thing is too, and I want to stress this as well, that doesn't mean that we need to flood the insurance departments with phone calls, emails, and things of that nature. Because these insurance departments are not manned by a, an infinite number of staffers. You have a small number of staffers who are trying to deal with multiple, multiple statutes and multiple, multiple regulations. We have to acknowledge the weight of their particular job because I was there just yep. like they were when I worked in state government. And you have to give them time and you have to keep educating them, keep talking to them. And probably one of the best ways to do it is to do it through a coalition, a group of people in that coalition that will keep in contact with the insurance department and pass along information to them about where the laws are not being adhered to. Yep. That way you do not overwhelm the insurance department because if you overwhelm them, you're not going to get the result that you want. Yep. So it takes time. And unfortunately, sometimes when you work on a law, you have a great law, but it could take you months, years before the proper regulations are set and that law can be fully enforced. The great, the one thing that I hear all the time is like, you know, they say, Anthony, look, our law has a penalty in it. Why is the state not level, uh, not penalizing the PBM for not adhering to the law? And a lot of cases is because they haven't figured out how to do it yet. Uh, even though the PBM industry to, for us is old news. We know about it. We've been dealing with it for years. Yep. To a lot of these insurance departments, it's totally new subject. They're trying to wrap their arms around how to handle it. They're also wondering, once we enforce these laws, how is it going to impact the patient, not just the pharmacy? So they're taking all of this into account because they don't want to make any mistakes. They don't want any negative ramifications. And that's where I guess people like me have to come in and assist them because we act as a conduit between the pharmacy and between the department. And sometimes you have to understand how to speak their language a little bit too. Yep. Uh, so uh, one thing that I want to get across to people is that, you know, I see all the time, we, we always see headlines, state did this, it's a great law, it's the, and that's great. The work is great but there's so much more to do after the law is passed. That's only 50% of the work. Right. The hard part comes when you're dealing on the policy side with the insurance department to get them to pass good regulations to enforce the law, and then to eventually lead to a place where the law is being fully enforced. 
And that's really where the difficult work comes in and where you don't see the headlines. Yes. And it kind of has to be an all uh, hands on deck moment for independent pharmacy. Right. If, if you're an independent pharmacy owner and you're not involved in politics, it's going to be involved with you. Yep. And you have, and if you never got involved before, you need to get involved. You need to know what your local associations are working on. You need to see how can I, what can I do? What kind of help can I offer? Is there, can I make phone calls? Can I just keep in touch and let them know how the law is impacting me? Anything that they could do would be helpful. But it really is an all hands on deck moment for independent pharmacy because we're passing laws all around the country. But it's up to us as an industry to enforce it. That's right. And they have to take the first step. They have to say, am I involved in politics with my local associations in my state? And if I'm not, what should I do? Who yep. should I call? And the first step is get in touch with your local associations. Get in touch with groups like IPA and tell them I want to be involved and ask them, what can I do to help? What can I do to get this across the finish line? And believe me, uh, I'll, anybody that calls me, I'll have a lot for them to do. <laughs> what I'm thinking as well is, uh, is if you're a pharmacy owner, you're listening right now, how many times a year, which I think it needs to be a minimum of one, are you pushing for an invitation to a local representative, whether that be your state representative or a state senator in your, uh, that, that you're a constituent of, how many times are you inviting them to see how you're caring for your community? Not only for a marketing opportunity and the local paper might pick up that event of, you know, the XYZ representative coming in to spend a half day with you in touring them and showing them the automation, showing them your strip packaging, showing them your adherence plan, showing them your diabetes education programs, but then also blasting them as politely as possible without coming out of your skin. Like we all know that we're angry about the PBMs, but educating them about the PBMs. Now a portion of every association that's involved in pharmacy, whether that be NACDS or the NCPA or the American Pharmacist Association, regardless, I think Anthony, we need to spend a portion of our budget that being probably a small portion to educate the public about why drug pricing is so high because the ninjas of this whole thing, which are the PBMs, are shrouded in mystery. They're behind the corners, they're in the dark. Nobody has any um, you know, knowledge about them from a consumer perspective. An IQVIA report, IQVIA, the big data, the biggest data aggregate uh, company in the entire world, uh, their insights in the IQVIA Institute report had come out and they showed a record $67 billion was paid out of pocket by patients for all prescriptions filled in retail pharmacies in 2019. And that was up from 61 billion in 2015. Now, if you can't take that as a headline and get that in the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette 
and the New Jersey Post and the you know Wall Street Journal and the USA Today and start tying that back to the culprit. Start tying that back to the entity that makes that happen, which is the PBM. We need to, as much as we're trying to get our lawmakers to come in and tour our pharmacies and educate them, which is important, we also have to educate our consumer, allowing them to understand why their drug prices are as high as they are and what they can do about it. Absolutely. I mean, education is the key. Educating the public is the key. But I think, you know, what a lot of us have to keep in mind is that we can't make the message confusing. The pharmacy benefit manager industry and the drug supply chain and the way everything works in terms of pharmacy reimbursement to your average person, and I'm one of those, I'm one of those, I have to learn about the industry and understand it. It's one of the most complicated fields you could ever go into. There are more acronyms than you can name. And so we really have to drill it down to people and explain to them who the PBMs are, what are they doing, and why is, how are they impacting everyday people and everyday lives. And I've, I've seen some messaging that's really good, and I've seen some messaging out there that's not so good. And we have to understand when you're dealing with the public, you have to speak the people's language, right? You have to explain to them, well, what's a pharmacy benefit manager? Yep. Well, you just have to talk to them plainly and explain to them who they are. But you also have to do the same with legislators. Yep. Exactly. You can't assume when you meet with a legislator that they're going to be completely schooled and what PBMs are, what they do, and how they impact you, and how they impact the patient in terms of drug pricing, and also in terms of their ability to go to the pharmacy of their choice, their ability to get the actual prescription that the doctor prescribed for them. These are all types of things that can be explained to the legislator. When you, uh, one of the things I try to do, I know my colleagues in New Jersey also do this as well, when we go and meet with a legislator, we don't go into the soup to nuts kind of thing where we start talking about whack, dir, uh, all sorts of fees. We drill it down to what's happening with the patient. What is happening with the community pharmacy? What's happening with the jobs in the neighborhood? Uh, how much are people paying, actually paying for the prescription drugs? Yep. Uh, are people being denied? medications because the PBM is playing doctor. And once you start having those kinds of conversations, then they open up to a deeper policy conversation about these issues of brand generic rate, generic effective rate, dispensing fee effective rate. And then sometimes people ask, well, what are those? And we all say, well, that's a good question. Nobody actually knows. You could ask five different people what a DER is, what a generic effective rate is, what a brand effective rate is, and you'll get five or 10 different answers. Yes. So that's another problem too, is that when they create these reimbursement formulas for the pharmacy, nobody's able to really define it because there is no actual definition. Right. And that, that was also part of the problem in the past is that when I came into this, 
the biggest thing was if we passed a Mac law, and everybody out there, I'm sure listening to this knows what a Mac is, Mac law, that that would solve all the problems. But this is what we found. Most states have passed Mac laws, and then the PBMs went to other formulas, brand effective rate, generic effective rate, dispensing fee effective rate. And what did they do? In, they'll show the insurance department in that particular state, we are adhering to the statute. When we do a MAC reimbursement, we're providing the pharmacy, we're doing everything that's necessary to adhere to the statute. But generic effective rate, brand effective rate, dispensing fee effective rate, that's not covered in your law, only MAC. Yes. So we're only going to reimburse the pharmacy. So we're finding PBMs are only reimbursing pharmacies under those formulas in a lot of cases. They're moving away from MAC in certain instances because they don't want to adhere to that statute. It's not profitable for them anymore. So they're moving, they create other formulas that they can use, which are not covered under the law, to ex keep extracting more money from the pharmacy and the patient. And that was kind of an interesting wake-up call for me when we were working on the MAC law, when I was working on it with the, our New Jersey coalition partners, was that we have the MAC law, nearly 90% of all the prescription drugs are reimbursed under MAC. But what happened after we passed the MAC law? All of a sudden, you have new formulas, new reimbursement formulas that are no longer covered under MAC. And we had to go back and pass another piece of legislation, not just to cover all these new formulas, but any new formula they come out with in the future. Because if you only limit it to one specific formula or even a handful of formulas, they will come out with a new formula that's not covered under the statute. And they will say, well, we're in compliance with the law. We don't have to, but these formulas don't need to be in compliance. And that's one of the things that the coalition in New Jersey did. We were able to pass a law that covered every kind of formula in a commercial plan. Of course, uh, the big problem is ERISA and the Supreme Court cases coming up. You know, we were able to cover commercial plans, but because of the uh, uh, ERISA and self-insured plans, uh, we can't get the state health benefits program to be covered under the law. We can't get self-insured plans to be covered under the law. Mm -hmm. And that's why the Supreme Court case that's coming up in October and the work that NCPA is doing on that case is extremely important. I mean, it's vital. It's vital because we can get commercial plans to be covered under our state laws. But if we want to cover the state health benefits program, we want to get them covered under these PBM laws. If we want to get self-insured plans to be covered under these PBM laws, that case is critical. And uh, I think everybody needs to support NCPA and the work they're doing on this case. Absolutely. And if you're listening right now, you are in the New Jersey, Pennsylvania, New York, uh, Virginia area, and you want to reach out to Anthony, I'm going to have his show notes um, and his contact information in our show notes. Anthony, if you'd send me the links that, um, that you want included in this episode, I'll put those in the show notes as well. 
Um, we're wrapping up now with the uh, with this uh, episode of the PBM Reform Podcast Series. But if you're listening, if you would please forward this episode to another pharmacy owner, as well as to a uh, representative in your state, um, educating them of what's going on. These discussions that we have on this series really break down some of the nitty gritty, but we do bring in logic and data into these discussions that anyone who's above the eighth grade reading level would understand. And the one of the final comments I want to I want to make is that there's a growing public health concern for patients who are abandoning their new prescriptions, ones that have just been prescribed within the last 60 days, and they're not following a physician's recommendation for care because of their higher out-of-cost um, expenses. And that's causing um, an estimated $300 billion problem of readmission. So this is more than uh, just a community pharmacy issue. This is a population health uh, disparity and an issue that we're facing, Anthony, and it, it needs to be addressed. And I know that the politicians are uh, very important. I know that the NCPA is extremely important and the IPA and the work that you're doing with the coalition. However, we have to get this messaging out to the public and the consumer to allow them to know that you are in health danger. Your health is in danger because of the actions and the, and the business model, the current business model of the three largest PBMs that are governing over 80% of all the prescriptions that are moving through our system every day. So that needs to be expressed and that needs to be communicated to our public that this is an issue, this is a national healthcare crisis and if we solved just the PBM issue, just to play fair, just to um, do what you, you promised in, in benefiting um, our, our patient, our populations, our communities, that in and of itself would save this uh, nation multi-billions of dollars. Todd, thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. And you know, the one message I just want to get out to independent pharmacy as a whole uh, whatever association you belong to, ask them if they're working in a coalition with other associations in their state, because not one group or organization can do it alone. Coalitions work, and that's what we need. We need more coalitions in our industry. Absolutely. I believe that in podcasting as well, the single standalone podcast about pharmacy, I don't believe it works the way that it's supposed to. That's the whole reason that we've invented and put together a coalition of pharmacist podcasters. And it's the reason that this publication is in the top 20 podcasts out of 1.5 million podcasts in business news and it's the reason that we're doing as well as we are for the voice of the pharmacy in publication is because of the collective it has nothing to do with me by myself i i wouldn't have even have made the charts if it wasn't for the 45 to 50 pharmacists who are supplying this uh, conduit of 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 information to to the to the industry to the pharmacy industry i'm proud to be a part of it anthony i'm proud to be connected to you through linkedin um as i said i'm going to have your information in the show notes i'm proud that uh, there are organizations out there like independent pharmacy alliance learning more about them at ipa-rx.org 
Once again, that's ipa-rx.org. And we thank you, um, Anthony, for being part of this today. Todd, thank you very much. You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Nation on the PBM Reform Podcast Series. And as always, I thank you for listening to the Pharmacy Podcast. PBM Reform is not a textbook process. This component of healthcare insurance will take time to figure out and will consist of many different players of the pharmaceutical supply chain. If you'd like to contribute information, data, or your own insights on PBM Reform, please contact the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Send your email to publisher at pharmacypodcast.com or call us at 412-585-4001.